What sets Ezekiel's book apart is that it, like Agnon's Nobel Address opening, is all about a man who is far away from Jerusalem, but cannot stop having visions of it. Visions of the destruction of the temple, and, in the end of the book, extensive visions of the temple that is yet to be. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 161, Born in Jerusalem, Prophesying in Babel. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 1966, Shmuel Yosef Agnon was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature, the first Israeli to receive the award for any field. Agnon was an unusual literary figure in Israel, as he was also orthodox and inspired by traditional rabbinic texts. And so, as he began his Nobel address, he spoke to those assembled in Sweden by referring to the Talmudic laws of blessings. Quote, Our sages of blessed memory have said that we must not enjoy any pleasure in this world without reciting a blessing. If we eat any food or drink any beverage, we must recite a blessing over them before and after. If we breathe the scent of goodly grass, the fragrance of spices, the aroma of good fruits, we pronounce a blessing over the pleasure. The same applies to the pleasures of sight. When we see the sun in the great cycle of the zodiac in the month of Nisan, or the trees first bursting into blossom in the spring, or any fine, sturdy, and beautiful trees, we pronounce a blessing. And the same applies to the pleasures of the ear. Through you, dear sirs, one of the blessings concerned with hearing has come my way. It happened when the Swedish charge d'affaires came and brought me the news that the Swedish Academy had bestowed the Nobel Prize upon me. Then I recited in full the blessing that is enjoined upon one that hears good tidings for himself or others. Blessed be he that is good and doeth good. Good in that the good God put it into the hearts of the sages of the illustrious Academy to bestow that great and esteemed prize upon an author who writes in the sacred tongue, that doeth good, and that he favored me by causing them to choose me. And now that I have come so far, I will recite one blessing more as enjoined upon him who beholds a monarch. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who hast given of thy glory to a king of flesh and blood. Over you, too, distinguished sages of the academy, I say the prescribed blessing, blessed be he that has given of his wisdom to flesh and blood. End quote. Thus, having marked the moment in a distinctly rabbinic, orthodox Jewish way, Agnon proceeded to describe his own existential identity. Quote, it is said in the Talmud, In Jerusalem, the men of discrimination did not sit down to dine in company until they knew who their companions were to be. So I will now tell you who am I, whom you have agreed to have at your table. As a result of the historic catastrophe in which Titus of Rome destroyed Jerusalem and Israel was exiled from its land, I was born in one of the cities of the exile. But always I regarded myself as one who was born in Jerusalem. In a dream, in a vision of the night, I saw myself standing with my brother Levites in the Holy Temple, singing with them the songs of David, king of Israel, melodies such as no ear has heard since the day our city was destroyed and its people went into exile. I suspect that the angels in charge of the Shrine of Music, fearful lest I sing in wakefulness what I had sung in dream, made me forget by day what I had sung at night. For if my brethren, the sons of my people, were to hear, they would be unable to bear their grief over the happiness they have lost, to console me for having prevented me from singing with my mouth, they enable me to compose songs in writing. End quote. So he said in Sweden, and it is a striking image, a boy seeing visions of the temple, a boy seeing his ancestors ministering in the temple, a boy longing for the temple, a boy who was born in a place far away from the Holy Land, a town in Eastern Europe called Buchach, but who still considered himself born in Jerusalem. In this speech, Agnon not only did the Jewish people proud, he also, I think, captured the essence of a prophet named Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah, a Kohen, a priest, whose family was taken to Babylon with the other elites of Jerusalem in what is known as Galut Yehoyachin, the forced exile of King Yehoniah, prior to the destruction of the temple. Thus, whereas Jeremiah will stay in Jerusalem as Zedekiah rebels and as Zedekiah's Jerusalem is conquered and destroyed, Ezekiel will be in Babylonia, warning that all this will occur. What sets Ezekiel's book apart is that it, like Agnon's Nobel Address opening, is all about a man who is far away from Jerusalem but cannot stop having visions of it, visions of the destruction of the temple and, in the end of the book, extensive visions of the temple that is yet to be. This tension between physical place and spiritual bond between Babel and Jerusalem is emphasized right at the beginning of the book. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kevar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kevar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. This is an utterly unusual way for a prophecy to begin. Usually a prophet in the Bible is in the land of Israel, where God's presence is made miraculously manifest. Here, the biblical book goes out of its way to emphasize the opposite, that this man, who is a priest, who should be ministering in the temple, is not only not in the temple, but is receiving prophecy by the river of Babylon. As many note, this location presents a problem, as the rabbinic literature goes so far as to insist that in general prophecy cannot originate outside the Holy Land. Why then the exception of Ezekiel? Rashi immediately clarifies that because Ezekiel is from the Holy Land, exiled from the Holy Land, and began his prophetic career in the Holy Land, therefore he can continue to prophesy outside the Holy Land. In other words, Ezekiel was not only spiritually, but physically born in Jerusalem. But, as many note, a slightly different approach from that of Rashi is offered by the great lover of the land of Israel, Judah Halevi, who, while taking note of the fact that Ezekiel was from the Holy Land, also adds that what is important for prophecy is not only from where the prophet comes, but toward where his attention is focused. Because Ezekiel's prophecies are all about the land of Israel, as were Abraham's before he reached the land, therefore a spiritual link is created between the land and the man. Thus the king of the Khazars asked the rabbi in Yehuda Halevi's masterwork, the Khuzari, quote, In the time between Adam and Moses, were not prophetic visions in other places granted? To Abraham and Ur of the Chaldeans? Ezekiel and Daniel at Babylon and Jeremiah in Egypt? And the rabbi replies, Whosoever prophesied did so either in the land or concerning it. That is to say, Abraham in order to reach it, Ezekiel and Daniel on account of it. To put it another way, not unlike the dreams of Agnon so many centuries later, the words of Ezekiel in exile embodied the longing that Jews in exile throughout the centuries would show for the Holy Land, the longing that Judah Halevi himself would highlight, the longing that illustrates how one can remain rooted in the land of Israel while being many miles away from it. Interestingly, Agnon's reflections helped inspire another description of boundedness across a great distance to the sacred soil of Eretz Israel, and that is an address by Menachem Begin. This speech, which we have previously referenced, was delivered in 1972, marking the passage of 30 years since the Nazis' destruction and murder of the Jewish community in Brisk, the city where Begin was born. Before we turn to Begin's words, we should note that even though Begin and Agnon were very different and lived very different lives, 
They were both staunch Zionists that were simultaneously rooted in the Jewish past, in the traditions and longing of rabbinic Jews throughout the centuries. And this was something that set them apart from many other early Israeli public figures. Indeed, a striking literary link can be found between Agnon's Nobel Address and a different speech given by Begin in 1948, soon after the Declaration of Israeli Independence. Like Agnon in Sweden, Begin heralded the rise of the Jewish state by referencing Talmudic blessings. Begin said, quote, After many years of underground warfare, years of persecution and moral and physical suffering, the rebels against the oppressor stand before you with a blessing of thanks on their lips and a prayer in their hearts. The blessing is the age-old blessing with which our fathers and our forefathers have always greeted the holy days. It was with this blessing that they used to taste any fruit for the first time in the season. Today is truly a holiday, a holy day, and a new fruit is visible before our very eyes. End quote. And Begin followed this by referencing the language of the blessing itself. Blessed are you, God, who have kept us alive and allowed us to reach this day. Thus, Begin's link to the past is something he shared with Agnon. And when we now turn to Begin's remarks in 1972 about the community from which he came, we see that his rootedness in the generations that have come before was learned from the very rootedness of his family and friends, from the Jews of Brisk among whom he lived. Begin described how, surrounded by anti-Semitism, the Jews of Brisk linked themselves to the Holy Land. And here I am citing the translation of the speech published in Mosaic by Neil Rogachevsky and Michael Weiner. Quote, In the midst of their innocence, our fathers in their faith loved the land of Israel. We still remember how they prayed for rain in the land of Israel. Not rain for the land on which they lived and from whose soil they lived, but rain for the land of Israel. They pleaded for the land of Israel, cleaved to it. They would say the land of Israel in holiness and purity. And when they recited the grace after meals, coming to the words, and rebuild Jerusalem, their eyes would flow with tears. How they would articulate the name Jerusalem. They loved the land of Israel. We will remember their love and sanctify it, just as we merited to free the land of Israel and redeem Jerusalem. End quote. So here too, Begin makes reference to Talmudic liturgy, to the various prayers for and about rain, including the traditional praise of the Almighty, who is Mashiv HaRuach Morid HaGeshem, who makes the wind blow and causes the rain to descend. The recital of this phrase is linked to the time of year that marks the beginning of the rainy season in the land of Israel, and it is said by Jews until that season concludes. The Jews of Begin's Brisk had no immediate economic interest in the climate of the Holy Land, but Begin described how they said these words, reflecting that they felt as they uttered them, that they were there, in Eretz Yisrael, in spirit. And thus, in an interesting way, Begin as well parallels the first verse of Ezekiel. Let us turn back to it again. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kivar, that the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. All exegetes seek to explain these words. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year. Ezekiel never tells us from what this thirtieth year is supposed to be marked. Thirtieth year. From what point? The explanation advanced by most traditional commentators is that here the prophet is giving us a year in the 50-year sabbatical cycle of Leviticus, in which every seventh year is Shemitah, one of rest for the land, and after seven cycles of seven, the process concludes with the Jubilee in the 50th year. Thus, Ezekiel is referring to 
the 30th year in the cycle. But ladies and gentlemen, the laws of the sabbatical year and of the Jubilee apply only in the Holy Land. And Ezekiel is certainly not there. And that is precisely the point. In beginning his mystical visions with a statement about the agricultural cycle of the land from which he had been exiled, Ezekiel makes clear that the words that follow will highlight in a very real sense that spiritually he is still there. His feet are physically planted on the river Kivar in Nebuchadnezzar's empire, but his heart and soul is in the land of Israel. Something similar could be said about the Jews of Begin's hometown. Most of them had never been to the Holy Land, but they were there in spirit, bound up with it, visualizing it, seeing it, praying about it, speaking about it. In some sense, as Ezekiel did ages ago, the Jewish people, as the Talmud puts it, may not all be prophets, but they are the descendants of prophets. The Jews of Begin's hometown were not endowed with prophecy, but they did bind themselves heart and soul like Ezekiel with the land of Israel. Though physically, like Ezekiel, they were many miles away from it. Thus, appropriately then, Begin concluded his 1972 remarks about the Jews of Brisk by citing the Nobel Address of 1966 by Agnon. Quote, Agnon said, Buchach, from there I came, but I was born in Jerusalem. Brisk, from there we came, but we were born in Jerusalem. End quote. So he said, thereby giving tribute to the Jews he loved and lost, a tribute that captures the dreams of Jews of so many centuries, Jews to whom our present generation will forever be in debt. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.